Well, the phone rang, and it was the middle of the night, and I looked at it, and I thought, I'm probably going to ignore that call, but something within me said, answer the call. It was a friend of mine. I figured he was just drunk. He wasn't. I answered the phone, and he said, Brian, I have everything I've ever wanted, and I'm absolutely miserable. I'm like, really? It's 3.30 in the morning. Like, what, what's going on? And so he started to talk to me about how he'd landed the dream job that, he, that he'd wanted, and he went to college for, and he, he graduated from college, and he got the, the dream job. And he was the first one amongst our friends who really had some money. Um, none of us came from really hard circumstances, but, I mean, it was our parents' money up to that point. This was our first friend who had money of his own. And he started talking to us about the new, started talking to me about the new car that he bought and the success that he was having at work. And he was in a new relationship. And he just go, started going through all of these things. And I just remember after listening to him for about five minutes, he stopped and I said, Man, it really sucks to be you. And he, and he said, No, I'm miserable. I'm absolutely miserable. I have everything that, that, that I wanted, but I, I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to act. I don't know how to react. And, and I've gotten everything that I've wanted, but it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like I thought it would feel. And I feel paralyzed by all of the success. What do I do? And we started talking about purpose, and we started talking about the goals that we set in life and the reasons behind those goals, and if there isn't something that drives our, our why, and if there isn't something that drives the things that we, that we go after, ultimately, even when we arrive at them, the emptiness that's there, it's a feeling that we see on display all the time with celebrities. We see all the things that we would think would make your life easy make your life fun, the dreams that so many have, and yet time after time, the warning that we see, whether they're from our friends, acquaintances, whether they're just from celebrities from afar, whether it's from ourselves, in our own lives, the things that we see and that we're reminded of time and time again is, is that sometimes when you get everything that you want, It doesn't fulfill you. Sometimes it does. But sometimes it doesn't. Today we're going we're gonna to tackle a couple things. A couple questions we're going to wrestle with. And I wish I could tell you that just by wrestling with these themes over the course of today, that we're going to come up with some easy solutions for you and for your life. But I can't promise you that. I wish I could. And the reason I can't promise you that is because I can't help fulfill the purpose in your life. I can tell you all kinds of things from the biblical viewpoint that should help you arrive at those places, but until you adopt them for yourself and until you really practice them in your life, just knowing it doesn't do any good. A couple things we're going to wrestle with, this to, with today is, are these. The first is, what do you do when you get everything you want? What do you do when you get everything that you want? 
And the second is, how do you respond when God has done something amazing in your life? How do you respond when God has done something amazing in your life? So if you have your phones or your tablets or your Bibles with you, we're just going to be looking at three verses today. We're going to be looking at the end of Genesis chapter 8. If you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along in the Bible app. If you have your regular Bibles with you, Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. So right after the table of contents, there you go. And we're going to be in chapter 8. If you're at home, the verse will be available on the screens below in just a minute. We're not going to go there just yet. Because I, I, really want to, I really want to set the scene for this. Is What do you do when you get everything that you want? And some of you have lived a life and you're like, I've not gotten anything that I want. I can't even imagine living a life where I've gotten everything that I want. But some of you have set the goals. Some of you have set goals, you've tracked your progress, and you have, you've experienced quite a lot of success in your life. And frankly, you've gotten just about everything that you want. And now what? Are you satisfied? Are you fulfilled? Is it enough? Now, maybe you don't fit there because, like we said, not everybody reaches the point in their life where they get everything that they want. In fact, I would say probably most of us don't arrive at that point. So for those of us who don't fit there, I want to ask you, how do you respond after God does something amazing in your life? How do you respond when your back's up against the wall? And it seems like all the odds are against you. And you have no other choice but to cry out to God. Maybe it's the illness of a child. Maybe it's a really tough circumstance that you're experiencing in a situation in life. I don't know what it, whatever it is for you, but just one of those situations in our lives where we look back and, and we just reach that point where we realize, I can't fix this. I can't do it. God, I need you to intervene. And oftentimes what happens when we reach those points of, of needing God's intervention, either it's because we've hit rock bottom or we're just backed against a wall and we can't go anywhere and we know, we know we can't do it in and of ourselves in this circumstance, in this situation, in those times, that's when the promises start flowing, right? Like, God, if you would only intervene this, I promise I will live my life for you. God, if you will only, be, only intervene in this circumstance, I promise you, I promise you, I will do this, and I will do that, and I will do this. God, if you help me pass this geometry test that I did not study for, and now I've made my girlfriend mad, and she won't let me cheat off her anymore, and I'm going to fail the class if I don't pass this test, I will go to Africa and serve you for the rest of my life, right? Those moments and those prayers that you reach because you're like, I can't do this in and of myself. Have you been there? And then the question is, did you follow through? Have you been there and did you follow through? I don't know about you, but there have been some times in my life where I've made some promises to God in the moment. And I didn't. I didn't follow through. How do we respond when we have everything that we want? What do we do when we reach those moments where God does something amazing in our lives? We're going to pick up the story where Derek left us off last week at the end of Genesis chapter 8. Just to remind you, Noah has been 
on an ark with his immediate family, with the animals. That has been his reality for a year. And finally, the waters go down. Finally, he's able to get off the boat that he has been on for a year. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 8, 20, where we read these words. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. I'm fascinated by this for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is this. Noah gets off the boat and he immediately, he immediately builds an altar to God. He gets off the boat and he remembers that God has sustained him. He remembers that God has been there. He remembers what the last year of his life has been like, undoubtedly. And Noah remembers God. Noah remembers God. He's off the boat, which he desperately wanted to be off of. And you're like, well, how do you know that, Brian? He's releasing birds. He's like, go, go, please don't come. Like, go. It's not time yet. He's, now it's the, the flood water has finally receded. He can finally get off the boat, and he builds an altar to God. Noah remembers God in this time. And this is, the, this is the first example that we see in the Old Testament of an altar, that Noah gets off the boat and he worships God. He sees how God has worked, and he worships God. And what, is, what has Noah seen over the past year of his life? Well, a number of things. Noah has seen that there are consequences for actions. That there is a very real consequence for sin. And he has, he has been given a very vivid picture of that. Where God has destroyed everything as a result of that. And when you're on a boat for a year is the reminder of God's judgment and how God feels about certain things. It is a sobering reminder. But Noah's got to be filled with thanksgiving as well. That God's offered him provision and protection. That God has provided. For a year, of, for a year he's on this boat. And in that year, God has protected him. He's offered him provision, and he's provided. As soon as he gets off the boat, his first thing is to remember God. And oftentimes, when we experience these really big moments in our lives, they have a way of changing us to our core. And undoubtedly, that's what happened to Noah, that he was changed to the core. He's just gone through this ordeal for the past year of his life. And that, that will change you to the core. When you see how God sees sin, when you see and you remember God's provision and God's protection and all that God has done to provide for you, and his response is to worship God. His response is to worship God. When he sees when he sees God's response to sin, and when he sees all that God has done for him, his response is to worship God. And so he builds an altar. He builds an altar. An altar as, as he worships God to remind him of the amazing God that we serve, the God who takes sin seriously, but who still loves people who sin, the God who provides and protects and offers provision. 
And this week, we have an opportunity to do just this. This Thursday, it's an opportunity as we celebrate Thanksgiving. We have an opportunity to to be reminded of that which we have to be grateful for, of that which we should be thankful for. The fact that there is a Savior who loves us, who sees us in the midst of our mistakes and says, I still love you even though you make horrible decisions sometimes. I still love you even though you've made mistakes. I still love you even though you rebelled against me. And for us to pause as well and to think of all the ways that God has protected us, that God has provided for us, and all of the provision that God has offered to us. And the danger with our society is this. We're on to the next thing. We're constantly on to bigger and better. It's never enough. That's why we talk about before you arrive somewhere, you better know the target you're aiming at. You better set your goals before you're in the midst of it, because if you set your goals when you're in the midst of it, your target will constantly be changing, and the danger of a changing target is you will never find fulfillment. You will never find peace because the target will always move. And if you would have set the target early on and said, this is what I'm aiming at, when you hit it, there is an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that God has offered you, all that you have accomplished, all of these things. But when the target constantly moves... Gratitude flees. And one of the responses we as people who follow Jesus must must have is we must be people who are full of gratitude. That we should certainly on this Thursday take some time to think about things that we're thankful for. But this really needs to be a, a principle in our lives and a practice in our lives that goes beyond a holiday. And this needs to be something that, that is a discipline in our lives that we take time to constantly remember what God has done in us and through us. And in the same way that Noah gets off the boat and the first thing he does is he builds the altar and he worships God, our hearts should constantly, constantly be flowing with thanksgiving and praise, for the incredible ways that God has blessed us. Every single one of us in this room has been blessed beyond what we could even truly imagine, or really even fathom when we stop and we think about all of the incredible things we have. But the problem is we don't see it like that. The problem is we look out the window instead of at mirrors, and instead of looking at our own lives and see all the things that God has done and given to us, we look at somebody else. Well, they have more money, and they have a nicer house, and their car's better than my car. And we, we, we start to think about all of those things. And the problem is not only does that drive a wedge between us and others, even more importantly, it drives a wedge between us and God. Because we start to think that somehow God owes us something. And we fail to see all the ways that God has incredibly blessed us to begin with. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. 
to know what you're aiming at and to remember all that you have to be thankful for. Everything that God has done and everything that God has given you. And to not take it for granted. To stop the comparison game and to just focus on all that God has given you and what he's done. And so right now, we're just going to take about 30 seconds to, to do that in the quietness of this room. In our own hearts, and just in the quietness of, of this room, in our own hearts, I want us just to offer up a, a prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving for all the provision and all that God has done to provide for us. The fact that he has forgiven us and desires a relationship with us, all that we have to be grateful for. And so right now, let's just do that. May we be people of gratitude, God. Thank you. Amen. Goes on in Genesis 8, 21, where we read these words. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Let's, let's tear this apart. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Noah takes, he, he makes an altar, and then he starts doing a barbecue, and the Lord recognizes the gesture of Noah, and, and he smells, I mean, just put yourself in those shoes when you walk when you walk into a barbecue and you just smell all, oh, and that incredible, I mean, you don't, you don't get that smell from roasted zucchini, all right? Nowhere, I'm, I'm serious, nowhere in scripture have you seen the Lord smelled the roasted zucchini and his heart burnt, nope, we don't see that, but we see that Noah's doing a barbecue here and the Lord smells the aroma and he's like, that's where it's at right there, all right? So just keep that in mind as you're preparing your Thanksgiving menu, that God smells what, smells what Noah is doing. And God decides in this moment that he's going to restrain himself, that God is going to restrain himself. Now, why would God need to restrain himself? Because of what we see. And we don't necessarily like this theme. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That the intention of man's heart is evil. This is something we have to wrestle with. Because we like to think of other people as evil. We like to think the other side is evil. But certainly not us. That the evil is a problem that you face, but not me. Evil is my neighbor's problem, but not my problem. Evil is the party that opposes my politics problems, but not my party's problems. Evil is, is out there. Evil is someone else. But what we're told here is evil is everywhere. Evil is inside here. Evil is everywhere that you look. The intention of, of man's heart is evil. 
We have to grapple with this. What happens when we really come to terms with this is it changes the way that we see people. First, it should change the way that we see ourselves, but it certainly changes the way that we look out and we see other people. I don't care what your politics are. Over the course of the last couple weeks, there, there was a lot of conversation about what was going on a couple hours here in the Rittenhouse trial, and every side wanted to demonize the other side. Every side wanted to demonize the other side, that the other side was evil. The other side was evil, but the side that I agree with, they, they're the righteous ones. They're the righteous ones. The other side is evil. And it was, it was finger-pointing, and it was yelling that, that they're wrong, and they're evil. No, they're wrong, and they're evil. And the message that we get from Scripture is, you're all nuts. Everyone's evil. This isn't a you problem or a them problem. It's a me problem. And when we start looking at evil as everybody else and we fail to see evil starting right here, we're never going to get it right. But we don't like to take that look inside because it's uncomfortable. And it feels so much better when I can point out all of your flaws and I can point out all of your mistakes and I can point out all that's wrong with you. But the problem is, you know where evil starts? It starts right inside of me. I'm the problem with the world. Me. I'm the problem. And we live in a society that wants to tell you everyone else is the problem. Everyone that disagrees with you is the problem. And the good news for you is, you're, you're right, they are the problem. But so are you. But so are you. That every intention of man's heart is evil. And as if that's not heartwarming enough, where does this start? Like when you're 13? I, I think that's a good age, right? Like, apologies to, to any 13-year-olds. We all know you're wicked. All right, so... Uh, it, <laughs> Right? Does it start then? No, it, it doesn't start then. It starts from the time you're a child. You're just born with it. You're just born with it. But every intention of the heart is evil from the time that you're born. So if that's true of us, this is all the more fascinating. That God says, even in light of that, even in light of all the evil that's in the world, not just because of the other side, not just because of everyone else, but in light of all the evil that's in the world because of you, even in light of that, I'm still going to restrain myself. I'm still going to restrain myself. And verse 21 ends this way, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. fascinating thing is the flood, it didn't take care of this problem. And yet God says, I will restrain myself. I will be gracious. And even though every inclination of the heart of humanity is wickedness, 
I will still choose to be good to them. I will still choose to be gracious. I will still choose to love them. I will still choose to provide for them. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So God just establishes here the cycle of seasons. He establishes the cycle of seasons. We're going to see, as, as you As you read through the the rest of the book of Genesis, you see that the lifespans drastically decrease. The lifespans drastically decrease. You see, the world has just completely changed. That the flood changed so much of, of the world's makeup that now the cycle of seasons are introduced, cold and heat. I mean, thank you for all of you streaming at home as as Derek welcomed you this morning, but really, for those of you who made it today, I I really want to applaud you sacrificing going through that 37-degree morning that Derek was talking about how chilly it was. Burr. Like, (laughs) right? It it hadn't even started to be cold yet here. I know some of you who are streaming from Florida right now, you're like, that's why we stream from Florida. But for those of us who are going to be spending all winter here, this is second summer, and the only reason we're not in shorts is because you would judge us, all right? But this is... This is still a heat wave for us. But, but now, after the flood, all of these extreme temperatures are introduced and the cycle of seasons is brought in. And we see all of that, that God is, is still going to operate in this world, but that this world has it's, it's been changed. It's been changed. And I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by this for a couple reasons. One is because we see the effects of sin in so many ways. And make no mistake, the effects of sin always have drastic changes. The lie of the enemy is that it's not a big deal, it's not going to be that big a deal, nobody's ever going to find out, all of those things, but there's always an impact And sin changes things drastically. And some of you know that from your family, from your decisions in your life. That that sin always, it always changes things. Second is even in this world that is so incredibly beautiful, but that has been altered so radically from God's original design, what do we see? We see the continued provision and protection and all that God continues to provide. We see it on display. That God still loves us. He still provides for us. He still protects us. He still offers us all of these things. Even in the midst of our rebellion. That when we experience really big things, like like the ark, when we experience really big things in our lives, sometimes things are never the same. 
But sometimes, even when, we, when, when our back's against the wall and we cry out to God and we say, God, I'll go to Africa. God, I'll give you my life. God, I'll serve you for the rest of my days if you'd only help me get through this situation and this experience. Sometimes when we get through those situations and those experiences, we forget all about those promises we made to God. And even in that, God still loves us. And his goodness is not dependent upon our response. So what do we do with all of this? Well, I think it causes us to take a very sobering look at who we are. To remember, the problem isn't out there. The problem isn't you. The problem is me. And what's in here? But the incredible thing is that God sees the mess that I am. God sees all the mistakes that I'm capable of. And he loves me anyway. Some of you are holding on to your mistakes and you're letting your mistakes define you and I just want to let you know, God knew about all your mistakes before he created you and he still loves you. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sin so that you could have a restored relationship with God. And in just a minute, we're going to take communion. It's a reminder of all that God has done for us. It's a reminder of the sacrifice. And why was the sacrifice needed? The sacrifice wasn't needed because of you. The sacrifice was needed because of me. And what my heart's capable of. And the evil that resides within me. That's why God needed to die on the cross. And I can look all day long at all of the evil and all of the problems that are out there. But the most dangerous evil is that which comes from right in here. And that's what God dealt with when he sent his son Jesus to die for me and for you. So on your way in, you should have gotten a little, a little bag and a little pouch. And soon we're going to do communion at Lakeside without these vials of, of juice. And I know that's a day that some of us are, cannot wait for um, because there's like a vacuum seal that sometimes happens when we try to take it. And if that happens to you, we apologize. We know, we're, you know, COVID and all that. There will be a day when the pandemic's behind us and we can have cups and other kinds of ways to take it. But all that to say, disclaimer, I just didn't want any of you to feel like you were the only one if that happened to you. You should have gotten a packet when you came in. And if you don't really follow Jesus, I would just encourage you to, to hang on to this or to think about it because um, it's really not going to make a lot of sense to you and it's just going to be an unfulfilling appetizer and all that. It's so I would just, whatever, just hang on to it. But if you've, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus and Lakeside doesn't have to be your church home, you're, we're just glad that you're here today, uh, we'd invite you to take part in this with us in, in just a couple minutes. That this, this cracker is a reminder 
of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. Because of the evil that's in here. Not out there, but the evil that's in here. And the juice represents the blood that was poured out for our sin. And the amazing restraint of God is still alive and well, so much so that he loves you and he offers you redemption. And maybe today's the day that you stop fighting that. Maybe today's the day that you realize, yeah, the problem with everyone in the world isn't just out there. Maybe today's the day you realize there's a problem in here and I need to deal with it. And the message of the gospel of Jesus is you can't deal with it. That's who you are. But God's dealt with it once and for all for you. And he will make you new. If you would place your faith and trust in him. So I'm going to pray now and then the band's going to come on the stage and then we're going to take communion and then we're going to sing and we're going to worship as we remember and as we reflect on the forgiveness of our sins and on God's great provision and protection for us. God, we thank you for being a God who loves us. We thank you for being a God who redeems us. We thank you for being a God who sees us even in our brokenness, even in our evil. loves us anyway. And Lord, so often if we just try to fulfill ourselves and what we accomplish and what we achieve, we find ourselves empty. Because we've been created with a bigger purpose. And that purpose is to deal with the evil that's alive, not just in everyone else, but alive within us. Lord, we know that you dealt with that once and for all. Through your son Jesus on the cross. Lord, I pray for the person here streaming online that's tried to deal with the evil in their lives themselves and hasn't just given their life over to you. And I pray today would be the day of the end of that pursuit. And today would be the day that they realize they can't, but you have. In the quietness of this moment, they would give their lives to you. Jesus accepting the forgiveness for their sins that you accomplished on the cross, believing that you rose again three days later. And that today would be the day, God, they give you their heart and their life. and you would make them new. God, help us all be people of gratitude, remembering what we have to be thankful for, that you have forgiven us, you have set us free, that you love us, and you continue to provide and protect. So Lord, let our hearts be full of gratitude. We ask in your son Jesus' name, amen.